This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. <laughs> okay, so Jules McQueen, Julie McQueen. That's me. You figured out Google Chrome. You figured out a laptop. You figured out the podcast. I I did it. Look at me. Look at me go. Proud moment. Yes. I yeah, am I'm so even gonna wipe. Look at me. I wipe my camera off on my laptop so it's not smudgy. Yeah. Well, it, this is a podcast, so it's only an audio medium. But I well, get to see thing. you. But this way you I'm can pretty... see me, and it's not a big smudge on my face. So. That's right. That's right. And the last time I saw you, you uh, had this monstrous black eye. Oh yeah, right. That yeah. was creepy. Yeah, it it lasted. And by the way, that podcast will drop on the sixteenth of November. Oh, how exciting! Yeah, yeah. I had a big. So like, I dropped. I dropped my iPhone on my face when I woke up. Yeah. Why don't you tell the uh, the roundup audience how you managed to drop? Well, number one, let's un let's figure out how you dropped an iPhone on your face. Yeah. So and I'm. Two, how are you bruised yourself to the point of a black eye? 
bad. It was the worst black eye I've ever had. Um, I always preach to people not to look at your smartphone right when you wake up. And I think this was karma coming back on me because, you know, I'm always like, oh, no, take a few moments to yourself and practice gratitude and meditate when you wake up. And then I, I reached for my iPhone and dropped it right on on that bone under my eye. It just it was huge for a while. So there you go. You have like the iPhone 26 that's like 10 inches wide. It wasn't the iPad. Let's just be, let's make this. I dropped an iPad on my face. Yeah. Lucky me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, if you notice, there's only two of us. Uh, The esteemed Cody has decided to flunk out on us. Uh, so we can give him a bunch of crap all the way through the roundup. But no, honestly, he didn't flunk out on us. His wife is in Virginia, and his uh, stepsons had an award ceremony that he was actually going to win something about. And so he felt like he couldn't leave his son by himself at his award ceremony. So he's yeah. doing good dad duty. Well, Very good dad duty. He's a good dad. Yeah, I'm proud of him. Are you drinking anything substantial out of your carbon unwind Yeti? Um, I typically, um, around this time at night have hot tea. There sometimes may or may not be a little bit of whiskey in there with some lemon. I'm, I'm battling kind of a little bit of a cough and I feel like at the end of a long work day, it's going to help me, you know, oh. relax after all my phone calls today. Well, um, since a lot of people may not know you, Julie, let's, uh, let's introduce you to the esteemed audience because the audience is actually in a double dip of Julie McQueen. Oh. You're going to come out on this is a monday podcast so next monday the 8th uh you will drop and then your your podcast that we recorded a little while ago comes out on the 16th how wonderful yeah so much julie mcqueen information coming out great cannot you (laughs) cannot have enough julie mcqueen in your life let's be honest yeah (laughs) well that's exciting i love doing that podcast with you it was really really fun always great conversation so introduce those. Introduce yourself to those in the audience that uh, that listen to the roundup that uh, may not know who you are. Sure. Yep. I'm Julie McQueen or Jules McQueen, depending on how well you know me. Uh, I'm. Uh, I've been in the outdoor industry for about oh, I don't know, twelve, fifteen years, somewhere around there. Um, background is kind of in television production. I've had multiple TV shows over the years, and um, now I'm the president of Carbon TV. Um, you know, we are the largest OTT and VOD streaming network for um, outdoor content. So it's uh, really, it's my dream job and I get to do it every day. And we, uh, I'm also the founder of Carbon Unwind, we're a sleep and meditation app. Um, so I get to wear many hats around here, but most people know me from Carbon TV. And if you go on Carbon Unwind, uh, you may hear a familiar voice. To put you to sleep That's with right. uh, various stories that Julie's uh, project managers gave me, and they decided that it would be fun to send Robbie the the stories that have the most articulate, um, difficult terminology back to back to back, or the That's vocabulary right. was mm-hmm. right. We give you the difficult words and the sleep stories, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I love that you are one of our narrators. I I pulled a lot of my friends in on that project, and it's so much fun to have all of my people involved in one of the companies. Yeah, and Carbon Unwind uh, is one of our supporter programs for the month of November. You can win a year-long membership to Carbon Unwind to the app. So uh, good luck to those 
that are uh, in the running for it. And you can only be in the running for it if you are a supporter of Blood Origins for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. You support us, you support what we do, but you also get a number of things uh, that you could potentially win. Like last month, someone won a trad bow with rattlesnake backings on a single piece of hickory. Someone won a Pyrenean chamois hunt in Spain. In November, you can win a complete gunner kennel package. Uh, you can also win a... Have you ever hunted in Africa? I have, twice. What have you hunted in South Africa? A uh, little bit of everything. A lot. A lot okay. of things game. Some of the... Yeah. Know, the bigger stuff yeah I, I, my first did was, you get a spring bug? yeah yeah i got the grand slam spring bag so yeah. saying that thank you so much for that introduction and that sort of segue you it's like we're on the same wavelength but in november one lucky supporter is going to win a five-day hunt to uh hunt a spring box slam oh in the eastern cape it's almost like i knew that but i didn't look at me go <laughs> you're just you're just wowing people right now with your prowess, your your technological prowess, your telepathic prowess. Um, I'm here just saying all the things. <laughs> and um, so yeah, it's a, a phenomenal phenomenal prize pack, and literally for the cost of cup of coffee a month, which is at a minimum three dollars. I don't know where you get a three dollar cup of coffee anywhere, but that's the bar we have set, and. Um, yeah, we'd love for you to be involved. Carbon and Wind is in there. Uh, we have a bunch of other things in there. We've got about 10 different things this month. Um, and we're always, and we are building towards December. December, we're going to do a 25 days of Christmas every day in December. Someone in our supporters program will win something. And I'm sure we'll throw in a Carbon and Wind uh, one year membership into that. I bet we probably will. Uh, giving two. Stuff in there. <laughs> Uh, what else do we have? We have a shop that we are horrible at keeping up with. We have a number of t-shirts in there. We do not update our t-shirts. We do not update it with new hoodies. We don't update it with any hats. I'm sorry. Yes, that is the case. Uh, if um, we do, we will let people know we have been getting some requests for hoodies and new t-shirt designs. So if I get a minute, uh, we may throw something up there. Don't count your chickens before they hatch because it's probably not going to happen between now and the roundup dropping next Monday. Um, we also have, uh, we always like to hear from our roundup guests. Uh, Julie, one of the things that we've done here is when we, we ask people who listen to the roundup, if they're interested in coming on the roundup, just like you as a guest, just email us info at bloodorigins.com and put your hand up. And everyone that's put their hand up thus far, we've had on the podcast, uh, which is pretty amazing that we just have these random guys that, and we haven't had a girl yet. I wish we could get a girl. So if there's a girl listening to this roundup and you want to be on the roundup, come on. Because it's pretty cool. It's sort of part of Blood Origins as a community that is like, these guys have never been on podcasts. And they're like, we never thought we'd ever be on a podcast. And I said, well, here you are. And uh, it's cool to hear their perspective. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that you have people reach out if they want to be on here to talk to you. That's so cool. And it's not like we're doing a vetting process. <laughs> it's just like, if you reach out, you're in. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, you can also text us. We have a text line, 620-860-4804. And um, I don't think we got any text this week. Wah, wah, wah. So 
if you want to send us a text, and I'm pleading you, send us a text because otherwise I you know, figure out that there's only like two people listening to the roundup, me and this week it'll be Julie uh, right. listening to it. I'm going to so, text you from everybody's phone numbers in the office. Just yes, do yeah. that. Just, yeah, just, you know, it'll just build our self-esteem, you know, that's good. That's, that's right. good stuff. Um, so give us a text 620-860-4804. Uh, tell us uh, how terrible a job we're doing, how great a job we're doing. And or if you have a question about a certain topic uh, that has come across your feed that you want us to discuss. Last week, we talked about uh, our thoughts on the judge blocking the wolf season in Wisconsin. And uh, one of the things that was quite interesting about that is that he actually technically did not cancel the hunt. The hunt is still legal. It only has a quota of zero wolves. Interesting. Sounds, so, sounds a little fishy. A little fishy, little fishy. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. If you are a brand or an organization, November is the giving month. Uh, now that we are a nonprofit, we are finding this out that Tuesday, November the 30th is Giving Tuesday. And if you are a brand and organization and you're looking at your tax returns for the year um, and you're looking for a tax deductible donation, obviously non, uh, Blood Origins is a 501c3 nonprofit. And uh, we'd love to include you in our conservation club. Uh, and really, it's a very simple mechanism. You put your money where your mouth is. We go do what we do every single day. And we find some very cool conservation projects to uh, get involved. Speaking of conservation projects, we have just uncovered a couple of really good ones that we're going to look to fundraise a little differently for in 2022. You want to hear about it? We want to hear about it. So one of them is in uh, New Zealand. And New Zealand has a phenomenal invasive mammal problem. It's one of the things that destroys their native biodiversity. They obviously have a lot of flightless animals uh, that get hit by stoats and rats and cats and whatnot. And so they've developed these cool, like, lethal traps um they're like uh, they use a compressor a little co2 cartridge they fill it with bait it's a phenomenal little thing and these guys go up the rivers and they put these trap lines up it's typically volunteers it's typically hunters uh you hunt along the way you set traps you fish in the rivers you catch monster trout phenomenal and it happens all over new zealand and each trap is about 130 dollars so we think they're needing about 500 to 750 traps. So we're just going to put it on our shop and people can buy a trap. And that'll be part of our conservation effort in 2022. Um, yeah, it's just different, right? Really just engage the ground. It's very creative. And I like that they multitask, you know, they're out doing things and being outdoors and hunting and whatever. And then they just happen to be also, you know, setting traps for conservation. Smart. And the multitasking is the trout that they're taking out of the rivers are, is invasive. And the deer that they're taking is overabundant and taking out the vegetation. So it's like multitasking with three levels of conservation management. It's so true. All right. Julie McQueen, anything that you would like to say before we kick off 
because I know you've done your, your studies on all these articles that have come up this week. Well, as a guest, typically we, we do turn it over to you and say, which what article would you like to start with? See. Or any other topic that might have uh, piqued your interest well, uh, over the week that may not have been even on the list. Yeah, um, I would say the the one that um, that I kind of spent the most time looking into was um, the the article on you know they listed a lot of different big game hunters in there. Um, looking looking Ooh. for how can, can be the meet the world's most. Correct. Meet the world's worst trophy hunters. Right. Killed five thousand elephants, blasted yeah. baboons, and left Cecil the lion to die in agony. That's right. You know, and you know, but what struck me the most in this article is the because I'm a grammarian. I love words. The word choice is so interesting. Mm. As you read these articles, if you just start kind of like. Picking out little words that they choose, um, descriptive words. Um, I find it so interesting that it, there's almost a science behind this. The way they, <laughs> they um, tell the story. <laughs> and well, I know it's the science, of, definitely. For <laughs> I know it's kind of off topic and kind of a strange way to to look at that, but you know, um, you have to kind of put on a lens of a person who either doesn't know if it's right or wrong, and they're just going to read an article. Um, so word choice is so crucial on any information that we're absorbing in any way, right? So, you know, it's it's um, it's very interesting to me that the people who write these articles, it's almost like they have a list of words they want to put in here and they just squeak them in there to kind of, you know, get people riled up a little bit extra. Do you think, and, and, and we forgot to mention that this article is published in The Sun. The Sun. The Sun right. is one of the biggest tabloids in the United Kingdom. Right. So naturally is a very sensationalist type platform. Um, but, you know, you're in the media space all the time. Uh-huh. Sensationalism is not just limited to tabloids. Correct. Right. It can be used as a tool for good or bad, just like most things. And, you know, to drive traffic or awareness or clicks of course, you know, you want to put a title on something that will um, not just pique somebody's interest, but also get them emotionally charged. Um, in the ti- in the, you know, the title of this, uh, Meet the World's Worst Trophy Hunters Who Killed 5,000 Elephants, Blasted Baboons, and Left Cecil the Lion to Die in Agony. So there's so many words in this title that would evoke very strong emotions from people mm. who don't really understand the full story on either side of that fence. Mm-hmm. No, the wording is amazing. They forged a gruesome legacy. Right. That was one that piqued my interest. There was another, and it's funny. These guys are just, you know, you go through this and you've got to read it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Full of mis- misstatements, full of untruths, full of lies, quoting people that just have no business in wildlife conservation at all. Um, so it's funny when you start like just put 
you know, pulling it apart. So they, they have a couple of trophy hunters uh, outlined here. The first one said that he boasted about shooting 13,000 doves over four days. And I'm like, all right, let me look at this. Okay, so 13,000 doves over four days, that's more than, that's about 3,500 doves a day. Right. That is impossible because it's almost like a, um, it's like you have, it's the thousand dove club, right? There's, there's this, right. that's the thing is the thousand dove club. So to shoot 23,500 doves in one day is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Then it goes on to say that his trip was only 2,800 pounds. Yeah. Um, I'm like, mm, not really. Cause he's shooting a lot. Then he says he had to limit himself to 1500 shells a day. So if he did only, if he only had shot 1500 times. Right. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that they put the price of the, the hunts in the article for relevance. Again, I'm sure. Yeah. Again, they're, they're hitting a blue collared audience, right? A very blue collared audience to say, well, look, these guys are spending so much money. Right. And they've got gruesome photographs and terrible, you know, trophy shots and, yeah. I love the I love the amount of animals. That's the key, right? The amount of animals that these people have killed. 4,000 right. animals. Right. Yeah, it's it's a lot of numbers in here. A lot of um and it, and it, I'm you know, it's difficult to say if any of it's really accurate or if it's not accurate. You know, it, it's kind of But then again, who are we to to say if they can't publish an article and just make up some some numbers and you know Exactly. Like, it's not really journalism. Nothing. It's just tabloid sensationalism. Right. But sure. unfortunately, it is something we have to deal with all the time. And mm-hmm. it absolutely has a bearing on perceptions around who you are and who I am and, and what our hunting community is. Right. But it, it also has um, a massive impact on the people who are mentioned specifically and their families. And the other people in their lives who maybe didn't want this type of attention. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that we have to, to have a little bit of, um, you know, empathy for the people surrounding the people who are named. It's not always easy mm-hmm. for the families or the children, uh, somebody who is accused publicly of, you know, of doing something deemed wrong when, you know, there's really nothing saying that it was illegal or unethical. Yeah. hundred percent. And there's no, there's no counter to it, right? There's and there's really no opportunity to counter that. There's no opportunity to write an op-ed back to them. There's no opportunity to sue them. There's no nothing. There's no repercussions. It's just drill, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. You know, it's um, as a person who's been in this industry for a very long time. You know, um, also coming under fire for different things over the years. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. It's just, you know, pictures of things that I've harvested over the years. And, you know, a lot of my really close friends have had to deal with the same thing. And, um, you know, it's, it becomes very sensitive when you've experienced it personally and you kind of, um, it's not that we get thicker skin. It's that we just choose our battles. I think. Let me ask this. You've been in the industry for quite some time. Do you think that you've had more hate 
from antis or from hunters? Definitely from the antis. Um, really? I've had a massive amount of support from the hunting community over the years. I have not had any negative experience from the hunting community. And I know that story is very different from some other people. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of other women have faced backlash. Now, back in the very, very beginning, when I was basically a child getting into this industry, oh, do you really shoot a bow? Oh, are you really a hunter? You know, where's a picture of whatever? Sure. There were there was some of that. But, you know, I always say credibility leads to longevity. And I'm still here 15 years later. And it's, you know, for this industry, this community is my whole life. And I can say, even through the rough times over the years, I've had the greatest support and such a massive amount of love and respect from people in this industry, at least in my face. I mean, maybe it's not like that by my back, but I don't care. I mean, what am I going to do? Get mad about something that I don't know about? I, right, I right. You know, to be that person. So, um, no, definitely the antis. You know, I had a moment, um, you know, a few years back where a very um, famous person, you know, blasted me on a social media platform and put my information out there, and it was terrible. Um, you know, but I just didn't really give it the time of day. I just kind of walked away and kept doing my thing. And now here I am living my best life <laughs> years mm-hmm. later, and it mm-hmm. doesn't have any negative effect on me talk to that credibility what do you think you can attribute that credibility to doing it for the right reasons and intention so i believe that if if a person has good intentions it's really difficult to take a wrong turn you have to you know you have to be very unlucky to have a wrong turn if your intentions are right um you know doing the right thing for the right reasons surrounding yourself with the right people um you know, I think that those are our major keys to my longevity in this industry and also self-education, you know, being smart, mm-hmm. not just being out mm-hmm. there to, you know, make a buck, um, doing something that I'm not putting my whole heart into, but, you know, really devoting my life to a cause or multiple causes, um, having an end game, like having a plan and, um, and also knowing that, um, for example, this year I've spent weeks in the field and haven't mentioned it on social media. I love my private life in the wild. I love being on a mountain and not mentioning it to people because that's for me. That's my space, you know, not my space, like the (laughs) early 2000s, but like, that's my being out there is for me. I don't always Mm -hmm. have to talk about it. Um, And that tells me in my heart that I've been doing this for the right reasons. It's my intentions are good. I love this community. I love the outdoor industry and I love the people in it. They've been very, very good to me. Do you, I don't know if you have an opinion on this or not. Do you think that there is, if there there are people out there right now doing it for the right reasons, doing it with intention, but it's difficult for people to see it because of the, the stigma that is out there around people trying to get into the hunting industry right now? I think that if a person is using their platform to inspire or encourage other people to get outdoors, they're doing something good. It's not my business to judge how they do that. If, if a woman or a girl or, you know, a lady um, is, you know, posting types of pictures that maybe I wouldn't personally choose, 
that's fine. If she's living her life and doing everything that's legal and ethical and encouraging others to get outside, maybe buy a fishing license. Sure. I am not here to judge her at all because I wouldn't want somebody going back and judging me when I was 25. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I think that some people probably have, um, you know, maybe misguided intentions. Maybe they're, they do like the attention or they need those affirmations, but that's, that's for them. You know, that's, that's not for me to say, you know, oh, who are you to do this? That's me saying, what happened to you in your life where you feel the need to have those affirmations? Mm -hmm. Hopefully the outcome mm -hmm. healed that for you. Mm -hmm. Well stated. Well, well stated. Um, yeah, nothing more to say there. <laughs> uh, moving on, let me ask this question. And I've asked this question to a couple of people. And it's, it's a loaded question a little bit. Um, what do you think is the biggest threat to hunting from a biolog from a biology perspective? The biggest threat from mm -hmm. a biology perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, to hunting and hunting continuing in the future, right? So I think there are a few arguments on this. You know, a lot of people are saying, um, oh, you know, retention is down. Young hunters are not buying licenses. It's going to lead to overpopulation of animals in certain regions. Um, overpopulation can lead to disease, you know, death of herds. It, there's a lot of different reasons why hunters need to exist in the world, right? We all know that. We've all read the stats and we've heard that story. Um, you know, I also think that um, over the past year, two years, um, you know, we've seen a, an uptick. We've seen a trend of people spending more time outdoors, more fishing licenses, more hunting licenses, more kids, um, you know, programs getting kids involved outdoors. So um, I would say that the biggest threat as a from a, you know, biology standpoint would be um, probably the disease of the herds and undereducation on how to battle that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's um, a massive amount of, um, you know, information out there on what can be done to prevent the spread of CWD, for example. So, you know, it's the reason why some states will say, oh, you can't put bait out, you know, for this reason. And people get very upset because it might hurt their hunting season. So sure. your deer will be killed if you're not baiting them in in states where that's legal. Um, but then it can also, you know, help spread a disease if that is found in those areas. Um, so, you know, I would say that under education and the lack of information being put out there in a creative way where people want to um, absorb that information um, is a huge threat. I think that it should be talked about much more openly. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, instead of people just putting out um, content or articles or videos of a successful deer harvest, I would love to see more people talking realistically about, you know, the, the science behind how to prevent the spread of some of the diseases that wildlife are facing. No, I love that answer. Um, I'm glad you, you, you mentioned CWD because to me, I, my opinion is CWD is the biggest threat to hunting out there, but you countered the threat with something that I actually hadn't thought about which is the education undergirdling this idea of CWD. 
CWD is, for those who don't know, it's a brain encephalopathy-based uh, virus. It's tied in with the mad cow disease family. So it has some very real, some very human, some very um, fearful connotations to it, right? We don't know if CWD will affect humans. You know, it has the potential to, but there's been no cases, there's been no research, there's been nothing to it, right? It's just a hypothesis tied in with a little bit of fear. But I do like the idea that of education, and education falls into several categories. One being, okay, if you're worried about CWD, test your deer. Here's how you test your deer. Take the lymph nodes out of the neck, go get them tested, put your deer meat, do everything that you would do with your deer meat, stick it in a freezer, label it, and wait for your results. So, so I saw an email come through from, from one of the state DNR departments and it said, you know, deer season is here. Uh, the subject line, you know, caught my attention because it, did, and it might've been today or yesterday, all my days are blurring together, but it said, you know, if you want to test your deer, you know, for CWD, here's how. Okay. So that's wonderful that the state, you know, is putting this information out there. Great. However, not everybody opens those emails and not everybody you know, receives emails from the state, um, you know, for this type of information. So I think that we have a lot of very popular, um, you know, people in the outdoor industry, um, you know, hosts of shows who have a massive amount of people who believe them and look up to them. And I would love to see more people who have an audience talking realistically about this, not in a way to, um, you know, incite you know, drama or, oh my gosh, you know, fear, Mm -hmm. fear, not, not clickbait. I'm saying Mm -hmm. let's really educate the people who are consuming your content on something that could have a profound effect on the the herds. Yeah. I love the word realistic. Just be realistic about it. Let's be truthful about it. Let's be honest about it, but not fearful, not fear mongering. You know, what about one idea maybe everyone that that hunts gets a license. Shove it in with your license, little yeah. pamphlet, little piece of information, mm-hmm. or a QR code even. Yeah. Everyone's got one of these things, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I think that getting information out there that, you know, isn't always the most entertaining, but, you know, it can be done in a creative way where people will hear that mm-hmm. message. Here's something controversial that just popped into my brain. What if, because you would expect in these CWD areas, and I haven't done the research here, so I'm basing this on complete hypothetical in my brain based on a little bit of logic that's coming through. Um, You would think in these CWD areas that you would want the deer population to lower. You would want a, a, a lower density of deer in these CWD areas in these identified counties that have CWD. So if you decide to hunt in these areas, it's a risk. You know that there's a risk tied to where you're hunting, that your deer may test positive to CWD, and you may not be able to use it from a meat utilization perspective. What if the state said, if that happens, it didn't go against your tag? It's interesting. 
it's a it's a nice concept because you know it would encourage more people to be hunting for not that it would encourage them to hunt for the meat but it would um help people who genuinely are looking you know at their hunt from that perspective not a trophy or not a you know bragging rights thing but like they really do legitimately want that meat um you know I think no, that- you could limit it to does. It wouldn't be tied to bucks, so that would, you would limit poaching a little bit, right? If someone's yeah. going to, someone's going to bend and the also, law. If there's a you know a way to rapidly test for it, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of put off. They're like, oh gosh, you know, I better do this three extra steps, get the test, understand it, and then maybe my deer won't be good anyways. And all, you know, I think that um, it's misinformation. I think people are. Um, it's an education issue. I think that if people had all of the right information in front of them, um, kind of cut and dry, understand it, um, you know, maybe the states would be able to implement something like that. But until people understand what they're even dealing with, it's difficult to put anything into effect. Did you, you know, CWD to me, again, I'm a South African who's been in Mississippi since 2003. I was a professor in the wildlife fisheries department. I'm intimately, uh, I understand white-tailed deer, white-tailed deer management, CWD in, in, in deer, in white-tailed deer quite well. However, CWD has been around for a while in elk, as I understand it. You don't hear about like this whole testing melodrama tied to elk, or maybe I just am not in those circles that you may be better. Are you in those? Do you do you hear about it? I I actually don't hear um, a lot about that. I don't hear a lot of the elk community, the elk hunting community, talking about it. No, uh, my first, um, uh, you know, my first time ever really having any type of um, knowledge of it. Even I, it was it was back in I don't know two thousand twelve something. Um, I was, you know, talking to somebody and they had a high fence property in the state and they were explaining to me that if, you know, as they were, were having these high fence hunts and it was, it was stag hunts, um, they test every one of them as they come through. And if one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they could come into contact through the fence with, you know, deer or whatever. And I'm not talking like a scientist here. I don't understand fully you know, all of this, but they did actually, um, about a year later have to go in and, you know, get rid of all of the animals in the sense, because there was a case and it did spread to the entire herd and it was just horrible and terrible. Mm-hmm. It was my first time ever, um, you know, really understanding the, the problem and, you know, how that can so rapidly spread and so rapidly take out an yeah. entire herd of animals. So it's massive economic implications, yeah. right? Hightail, whitetail deer in Texas right now, CWD is, is there are occurrences of it. And there is a huge debacle between the private uh, deer breeders and the state in terms of detection of CWD. So, okay, let me, let me just put this out there. I've been in this industry for a very long time. I work, you know, a very amazing company. We have 250 something shows that air with us. I'm not even educated on it. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not. And so that's part of the problem. I'm a person who believes in self-education. I spend, you know, at least one hour every single day learning something new. That's part of my program. It's what I do 
um, to, to love myself more. I love educating myself. This is something that someone like me should have kind of come across this information over the years. So that is how absent it is that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know my peers, you know, my friends in this industry, they probably know way more than I do about this because they probably, you know, had these conversations and been around this a little more, but you know, I'm going to use myself as a, as an example in this one and say, if I have been undereducated in this department, I guarantee a lot of other people know nothing about it. And it would be wonderful for mm -hmm. some very popular people to come out and say, Hey, let me just give you a couple of facts on this. And, you know, this is what you can do, or this is, you know, how this works. I would love to see that. I think it would be wonderful to kind of spread that educational element. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the reason we're talking about this is one of the articles this week uh, was deadly chronic wasting disease knocking on the door of the Pennsylvanian elk range. Uh, they found a roadkill deer, which again, now here's the, Here's where the conspiracy theory starts sort of playing in. Where did the deer come from? Did the deer get planted? Um, did the deer actually die right there? Where did it come from before it died? Anyway, roadkill deer found near the southwest edge of Pennsylvania's elk range has tested positive for chronic wasting disease um, and has led to the State Game Commission to expand one of its disease management areas and create a sick disease management area. In, in Pennsylvania. Right. Again, miss, you know, it's all tied to education and this is what this, you know, disease unit will do. It'll provide an opportunity to get CW testing. Um, it'll have approved processes to properly dispose of the high risk parts. Um, but um, in the article, it says CWD was found in 2012 in Pennsylvania. So I just want to point this out. And I, I actually had to look it up because this is a story that I did on Outdoor Weekly a couple of years ago. I, and I thought I was remembering this correctly, but, you know, there's a lot of things rolling around in my brain. So I had to look it back up. New York State is the only state to successfully eliminate CWD after discovery in their wild populations. So if people want to know what to do right, they should be looking at what New York State did. It's the only state to ever do that. Is that still true today? Yeah, you can look at it. It's um, I'm looking at the article right now. Um, now. Tell the audience the article you're looking at. Okay, I'm looking at this article. I Googled it while we were talking because I remember talking about this on my show. Um, it's cwd-info.org. And it says, New York is the only state to eliminate CWD after discovery in wild populations. Right? Does, does it mention that. how they did it? Um, yeah, I, let's see, I did a, a putting you on the spot, <laughs> point, give you the cliff notes version, um, uh, regulatory changes, new actions to minimize the risk. Um, it's leading the New York is leading the nation in protecting our valuable deer and moose populations and ensuring our hunting and outdoor recreation economy continues to thrive. And this is from the DEC commissioner. Um, mm -hmm. so the plan, um, streamlines operations and proposes strong actions to prevent the introduction of CWD. Uh, DEC biologists worked with ag and markets, veterinarians and wildlife health experts. The, um, I don't want to read the entire they article. Just did a great, they obviously did a great job. They put in a bunch of education programs yes. that uh, seems to have worked. That's right. You know, and um, it says 
New York State ranks sixth in the nation in whitetail deer hunting. Um, and they really put a ton of money and thought into how to eliminate this because it was going to have such a massive impact. So um, I, I just thought of it while we were talking and I had to relook it back up. But I remember doing the story and just thinking, kudos to you, New York. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Kudos to New York. Kudos to the state of New York. It's amazing. And you don't really hear about it. But, you know, maybe um, this information is out there and people just aren't talking about it that often. No, 100%. Or maybe, 100%. maybe nobody watched my episode where I talked about it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thousands of people watched the oh, episode. Yes. yes, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got two more articles um, that I want to talk down, talk about. Um, and they both tie into probably the most sort of the foundational piece for wildlife conservation, uh, which is habitat. So we have two articles. Uh, one was uh, tied in, uh, the article's title was Wildlife Agencies to Cancel Trump Endangered Species Rules. And actually this, uh, this whole endangered species rule is in my backyard. Uh, the, the dusty gopher frog that you see in this picture is actually a, uh, a subject of a project that we try to actually get funded here in the state of Mississippi. We have the only breeding pond of dusky gopher frogs in the world. That's amazing. It is the dusky gopher frog is ranked in the top 100 endangered species in the world. Did you know that? How interesting. It's a very unique breeding cycle and it requires longleaf pine habitat around these sort of perched ponds up in the sand hills. And, um, what was uh, the, the the law case that got brought uh, in front of the Trump administration that led to the cancelling of this rule was that they determined certain areas in Louisiana that were currently under warehouser control, forestry companies' control, as potential critical habitat for dusky gopher frog. Oh. But the nearest dusky gopher frog was 100 miles away. So there was actually no way for that habitat to actually be occupied by that animal. And so the ruling changed to say that is then not, not critical habitat any longer. And you can then said log that and do the, 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 the typical use on that habitat. But the habitat in this space that you're talking about where they don't exist, but they could. Is there a way to transplant them? into this area to help their populations grow? I mean, is anyone doing anything about that? Or are they just saying like, oh, there's none here. I guess we should stop protecting it. Well, that's, that's the, that is the crux of the matter here, Jules, is that it's, it, if you take an endangered species and you put it on a property, that does not have the endangered species, then all of the protections of that endangered species then get conferred to that property. I.e., the use of the property, forestry, vehicular use, you name it, all changes. Got it. Now, the other thing is that the assumption that you just made in, in, in making that uh, statement was that the property itself was ready, the habitat was appropriate. For that frog, it more than likely was not, 
it more than likely did not have perched ponds. It more than likely did not have longleaf pine. But if it did, and it was restored back, it would be good habitat for this animal. Interesting. Definitely an, a conundrum when it comes to habitat conservation for wildlife. It is. And once again, this is something that people don't talk a lot about because they're, you know, the, you know, there are other issues that are distractions in the world. And as soon as somebody thinks that, you know, this is a very interesting story, 35 seconds later, they're going to find a different interesting story that is more dynamic. So, you know, I know that the list of endangered species just goes on and on. And there's probably um, a lot of different, you know, really simple methods for, you know, um, reviving some of those species in different ways. Um, it's just unfortunate that it doesn't get the attention. Um, it doesn't have that, that clickbait that some of the other stories do where people just easily get distracted and move on to the next thing. Um, also in legislation, you know, so people are so, um, you know, openly and vocally concerned about some issues because it does stay more, it stays popular longer. Um, something like this, if you see, you know, an endangered species and there's a, a potential way to solve this problem, um, you're not going to get a lot of traffic if you put that on a website and try to pump it out there, unfortunately. Um, so I think that it comes down to, let me just say it again, education. So kind of helping people understand, you know, what these issues are, you know, you saying it's in your own backyard, you know, it would, it might have an effect on the area mm -hmm. that you live in. Um, but who's putting, who's putting the information out there and are they putting the information in a way where people want to consume it and want to listen to it or watch it? Do you think that these habitat conservation issues also become very political very quickly? Very They become quickly. almost like a greenie versus hunter type scenario. Yeah. It can't be that both can get the same thing like the Florida Wildlife Col Corridor, for instance, right. that article, right? That's yeah. gaining traction and people look at it. I look at it going, holy smokes, that's an amazing, amazing, you know, grand plan. But then right. when people start throwing in the idea of we don't want bears to be ever hunted, we don't want Florida panthers to be ever hunted, and it's sort of tied in with this whole habitat conservation piece. Mm -hmm. Right. No, absolutely. And it does become politicized. You know, just, um, you know, I'm sitting a little ways back from my screen where I have this article pulled up. And it's almost like one of those games where I could just circle, you know, five political words that I see in the article at a glance. You know, I see politicians' names. I see the word democratic. I see, you know, a, a lot of, um, you know, Supreme Court ruling. Um, I see a lot of, um, you know, political agenda mm -hmm. in some of mm -hmm. these articles, which, you know, if used in the right way, can get it more traction. For, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't always go the way that we want it to. So, you know, I think it just depends on, um, it comes back to intention, right? What are their intentions for putting an article like this out? Are they trying to really help the animals? Are they really trying to do what's best for the habitat or the environment or that endangered species? Or are they just trying to kind of, you know, lock up some legislation for different things that have this included in it? Yeah, it's, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's our greatest achievement at the same time as our sort of our greatest fault 
in that this specific think of this thing about this Florida, um, this Florida corridor, saving the Florida corridor is an incredible, audacious, bold initiative that I think all hunters could say, absolutely. We want that for our kids. We want that for our grandkids. And I think also the the conservation, greeny, preservationist movement would say the exact same thing. But at the mere mention of potentially sustaining and managing wildlife, there's this like absolute like rub, which is again where Blood Origin sits. It's this perception changing thing that is no. You have to manage wildlife. You have to create balance. You have to create balance and biodiversity. And you bring into the fold the in, you know, burgeoning human population, which is the whole point of this conservation effort. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did look at this article. And what comes to mind, just from kind of a psychological standpoint on this one, is communication. So I believe that the guy who, you know, is, is coming up with this, um, you know, th- they talk a lot about, you know, his plan and how it connects these different areas and will provide a mm-hmm. way for these animals to go from point A to point B and they won't have to cross mm-hmm. this one major highway. I believe his intentions are good. And I think that he probably has people around him who also have very good intentions for wildlife or for drivers, right? On this, on this, you don't want to hit a bear on a highway. So, you know, I think that the intentions are actually good on this. I think it's a communication issue. So you've got people on two sides of a fence, um, you know, or in this case, you know, a, uh, a pathway, you know, the, the corridor and it's, you get people on both sides sitting there looking at it going, Oh, but I, I love these animals. I don't want them to, um, you know, to get hunted and that maybe they're not from a hunting family and you have to have grace for them. You have to kind of understand that's not part of their culture. It's not part of their heritage in some way. Mm-hmm. That's okay too. Mm-hmm. Where, it com- where it comes full circle is having real conversations with real data and actual information that is, you know, scientific. We're, we're smart enough to figure out how to, how to connect some of these lands. I think there's ways to maybe take a, a few year hiatus, do some studies, understand the populations, understand, you know, what the other threats are. Maybe there's something else in that area that could be harming their populations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, have the real conversations, not in a political way, but in a real what's best and what what is our desired outcome? What are we trying to do? That's the that's the question that people kind of fail to ask a lot of the time. It's not it's not oh what do you feel in your heart? What do you want? It's what is your desired outcome? What, what do you, you think doing? hunters don't ask that question enough? Do I not think they ask that question? No. Enough? Do you think do you think hunters do not ask that question enough? What their desired outcome is. Mm-hmm. I think that they probably ask that question, but their answer is emotionally charged. We don't want our rights taken away. We don't want, you know, to feel threatened in any way. But, you know, sometimes, and I'm just as guilty as the next guy, we fail to look at the data. We fail to educate ourselves on certain topics and to really, you know, spend the time and invest our time into understanding the full spectrum of what's going on in some of these cases. For example, um, someone like me or anybody would read an article like this and assume that everything I read is true. Instead of 
going in to this amazing resource we have called the internet, <laughs> where we can have all of the things that we ever want to know for free at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. And instead of actually going in and investing time into researching and understanding and seeing through a different lens and seeing both sides of that fence, we automatically become emotionally charged based on one article that we read instead of fully understanding. And then stepping back and saying, what is my desired outcome? What am I mm-hmm. trying to accomplish by my position here? Well stated again. Yeah. Don't read the, the crux of Julie's statement. Don't believe everything you read. Do your yeah. own research. Think people. Do a little bit of thinking. Instead of one. You know, read read a few different things, Google a few things, look into it. And then if you still have a very strong opinion on it, great. You know, that's, that's amazing. I love when people have strong opinions. But, you know, I think that um, people, including myself, should focus on educating ourselves on some of these issues instead of just assuming that what our friends say or one article says is, is what's actually true. Yep, yep. Well, I think that's a great uh, note to end things on. Um, uh, uh, 55 minutes goes fast, uh, goes by really fast uh, when you've got some good conversations, some serious thinking, and some good articles. So, Yeah, I know. It's, you know. it's really great to have these conversations and to have them openly and transparently. Um, you know, so many of us come from different backgrounds and you know, some of us from non-hunting families and some of us from, you know, rich culture and hunting and, you know, that's been passed down, um, you know, and some, and some people really don't have an opinion on it either way is what I have found anyways. So I think that um, openly having conversations and helping, um, you know, educate people and put that information out there and, Um, I think that that's probably one of the most valuable things that we can be doing right now. Absolutely. Well, Julie, it's been a pleasure. Uh, If you enjoyed Julie on this podcast, next Tuesday, the 16th, uh, another podcast with Julie drops uh, in which we dive into Carbon TV and and her uh, thoughts around hunting and the hunting industry. Uh, So thank you again, man. I really, really appreciate it and always good seeing you. Thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.